how do you focus on firm culture and right strategic growth in your business when you have entities in these three places and you need to keep them all, again, very aligned and communicating with each other. So one thing we've been talking a lot, actually, from a strategic perspective is called just when, when there's this kind of growth and have consequences and operations that have consequences on communications and have consequences on a ton of stuff. And on new business, when new business comes in, who do we have to staff it? Who do we need to staff it? Can we handle this much new business now that our development team is really, really focused on that and there's just a lot more stuff coming in? And how does that all affect how we are together as a company internally? So we're drafting some documents in that regard as well. But I would say, I have a Kravitz said this to me recently. It's really amazing, which is that culture eats strategy for lunch. Like no matter what kind of plans you have for your firm, no matter what kind of plans you have to grow or to get certain work, you will not get there unless you have a team that's really aligned and working well together and seamlessly and understanding everyone's strengths. And that all comes from culture. Welcome to Best Practice, a show where we interview leaders in the building industry to unpack the tools, strategies, and tactics they use to run great organizations. Today, we are super excited to be joined by Julia Gamalina. Julia is the Director of Strategy at Trahan Architects, focusing on new business, brand development, and other aspects of firm growth and evolution. She's trained as an architect, and dedicated to the built environment and the visibility of the women who work in it. Julia is also the founder and editor-in-chief of Madame Architect, where she has published to date over 250 interviews with women who advance the practice of architecture. Her writing has been featured in Fast Company, Metropolis Magazine, The Architect's Newspaper, and many more. She was named one of Apartment Therapy's Design Change Makers in January of this year, 2021. She was named one of the professional women in construction's 20 under 40 and received special citation from AIA NY, New York, for her work with Madam Architect. Julia, welcome. We're so excited to have you. And I'm also joined here by Joanne Louis, my colleague at Monograph, where uh, it's a huge pleasure to welcome you, Julia. Thank you for joining us. Thank you guys so much. I'm so happy to be doing this. I loved Margaret and Brad's chat. I think it was a couple of weeks ago on behalf of Trahan. So happy to follow suit. Yeah. And you are responsible for making that happen. We really appreciate what you've done to increase the possible conversations at Monograph. So Julia, let's start. We've touched on some highlights, but maybe walk us through a little bit more detail for the few people who do not already know you. Oh my gosh. I'm sure there's very many. Yeah, no. So just... A little bit, my background, originally I'm from Russia, from Siberia, and I immigrated twice. I first moved from Russia to Toronto, Canada. My Sort of my main formative preteen years were spent in Toronto. And then I moved again to Colorado my sophomore year of high school. So I finished high school and then went upstate for college. And then as soon as I graduated for college, for, for architecture school. And then as soon as I graduated, I moved to New York. And I've been in New York now for eight years. And in those eight years, I started out on trains again and got my you know, professional five-year PR. And so I worked as a designer, as an architect for the first about half of those eight years, just all phases, you know, concept design through construction administration. Um, and then eventually, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit more, but ended up sort of pivoting and adding on experiences on the business development and communications and marketing side of things. So that eventually led to the strategy position. And then parallel to that, there were kind of two things I had done my whole life that were a big part of my identity in addition to being an architect. And, you know, I would use those 
those parts of my life were very active in, in high school and college, but not so much when I first started to practice. And I wanted to make sure to reintegrate them. And those two things were writing and mentorship. Writing was a huge part of my identity. And I would like get awards for things. Also, my schooling for specifically for my writing, not so much for any sort of like visual art or anything like that. And I was actively looking on how to integrate that when I was a designer. I wasn't sure if I, you know, I wanted to be writing for magazines, but didn't know how. And then on the other side, I had always been mentored and primarily by women, just because as a young woman, as a young girl, my female teachers were kind of the mother figures that I felt like I could go from. But when I graduated, that built-in system of mentorship that you get from your professors, your teachers no longer existed for me because I was choosing some of the more boutique firms to start my career with. I know, you know, some larger firms have those structures in place for mentorship, but the places I worked didn't, and also there weren't very many women there. And so I made sure to, you know, get out and about in the city, find some mentors. And once I did, just the advice I was receiving, and from one mentor in particular, Vivian Lee, was so invigorating and inspiring, and I just, like, felt so energized for tomorrow after meeting with her. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I have to share this and I've been looking to write and great, I'll just do this interview and everything kind of snowballed from there. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. So I personally have a Facebook group for women architects and I've always loved following your work, your blog, your interviews. And now you have interviewed like 250 women. Is there any common patterns that you have found with these interviews for them? Sure, yeah. So, well, first, I want to give a shout out to two, three women Amy Stone, Gail Kutach, and Caitlin Dashiel, who's no longer with Madam Architect, but was one of our interviewers, too. So, we've been able to interview so many because we now have other editors interviewing as well. So, that's how we were able to get to this, this nice, robust number. But, common patterns actually have been quite surprising. The number one thing I think really is no surprise is that it's really not about their gender. These women want to be known for their focus, their expertise, their interest in architecture, whether they're focusing on bamboo research or plastics or business development. You know, that's what they want to be known for in the industry. You can't ignore gender, obviously, or pretend that it doesn't exist in some cases and for some things. But in general, it is really their expertise that people want to be known for. And I relate to that, too, sometimes. You know, I get asked a lot of questions regarding to kind of women's advancement in the field for very obvious reasons. But then there's also this, like, business development strategy side to my career that I would love to talk about more. So that's one thing. And the other thing that was really surprising to me, less so now that I've matured in my career, but when I was first starting out, I thought you kind of map it all out and just follow that plan and just make things happen. And it's everyone that I've spoken to has basically, you know, proves that completely turned that on its head to say that, you know, actually, it's not about having these strategic moves and goals. It's about being open and feeling good about opportunities that come your way and exploring those and ending up in a place that is really good for them, even if it might be unexpected. So those are the two main things that I've seen across all. One other thing I will say is, even though all the people I've spoken to are women, people are really different. And I think the parallels are less so just women and people in general, the parallels really come through in people whose professional focus is similar. So like people that are focusing on new business reforms versus communications versus certain type of research or design, like that's where you start to see some themes and less so, you know, amongst women in general. Have there been any interviewees where you've almost seen yourself in the guest or you just like would never have expected it and you kind of feel like there's a real common thread here with what my life has been? Mm, Not in a literal sense, like not the you know exact steps we followed, but definitely in terms of being kind of about architecture and 
there's a lot of, I love all the interviews I've done. Every single person I've spoken to has, A, is super unique as like everyone in the world is. I just think every person is super unique and there's something super interesting about everybody and I love meeting new people. But I will say that two interviews in particular, I always reference them and I really related to both of them because they've, you know, they had their careers in architecture and then they went on to do something completely different. And so one of those, I talk about her a lot, but Kim Holden, she founded Shop along with, you know, her four partners at the time, had a two decade long career with Shop, really got her off the ground, made it what it is today. One of the people that made it what it is today and is now a birth and postpartum doula. So a completely new chapter, a completely new switch. And But it's interesting because it is still kind of about architecture and about space in that she does focus obviously on a woman's physiology and the gestation period and, you know, making sure the birth is as kind of mentally and physically smooth as it can be. But it goes much more than that because she's also exploring birthing rooms and birthing environments and is planning on partnering with, you know, various institutions about the entire kind of birthing center. And that's really, really interesting. So I encourage everyone to read her interview to learn more about that. And then the other person is Jean Brownhill, who founded Sweden, which is a tech platform that connects contractors and other design professionals with kind of first-time home renovators. And Jean is also trained as an architect, went to the Cooper Union, and then was working at Coach um, and created this kind of intranet in-house at Coach that helps them organize all of the information around the designs of their spaces. And then from there, went on to found this tech platform and has just taken, you know, she's in a completely new field of things now, but still architecture related. So I think it's really interesting what people do with their training and still stay within like building and the same themes, but express kind of value for the built environment in a very different way. Love that. And you talk about, a lot about like mentorship and writing and all that do you how do you see Madame Architect goes in the future for building a community what does that mean to you oh my well oh gosh we have a lot of plans the whole thing is such uncharted territory for me I mean I have no formal training in building a media company and building a business and kind of learning as I go so we have a lot of ideas. It's just a matter of like, okay, like how in the world do we get there and who do we need and what expertise do we need and how much money do we need and how do we go about that? Because we've also not haven't really fundraised. So I don't know. I think, right, Madam Architect right now is a media destination and we wanted to continue being as such. And we haven't yet started our YouTube channel like you have. We have an account on YouTube, but it's, I'm just thinking about like, how do you tell the stories of these women and how can people get to know these women in a really holistic way through video, through audio interviews, through the written interviews to like, to just continue, like continue showing these professionals value in all these different ways. So that's one part of it. And then, yeah, I have been thinking a lot about, you know, we have this really loyal an amazing like community of followers and readers that what do they need like based on what they the feedback that they give us from the interviews and from what we offer so far what is it that they need what is the resource that they further need to kind of advance in their careers and is that some sort of community and membership is that mentorship is that you know uh like more business trading or something like this so we're early stages in a lot of things. I think we've got our content, like it's a pretty well-oiled machine now and we're, we have a good pace and that's very set. So I think we're going to go to, you know, phase two or three of Madam Architect really soon. And I'm just figuring out how to get us. We had this question that came in as from one of our colleagues, Jasmine Huang. She has this uh, great question. I'm looking forward to asking you. So what are you still curious about that you haven't 
figured out yet, even after 250 interviews. Ooh, curious about that I haven't figured out yet. So I'll definitely answer it in two ways. The one thing I'm personally curious about for my professional development, and it really both to my work at Trahan and building Madam Architects, is just like the finance and operations end of things. Again, I'll speak to this later, but the role in strategy really combines my experience in design, marketing, communications, business development, kind of that trifecta and seeing a project life cycle from like, how do you find the lead and bring it into the firm and win the commission to then, you know, how do you tell the story of your project and how to win some awards and posted that on social media. So that is kind of covered. I have my basis covered there. One thing I right, haven't had a lot of experience in is the, the financing and what kind of profits do we need and what kind of revenue do we need and all that kind of thing. So I'm starting to learn about it now. Trey is a really amazing businessman and has kind of opened my eyes to a lot of things. So that's been really great. And with Madam Architect too, you know, we fundraised a little bit. We had an event for our anniversary that did well, but otherwise I just don't know where to start. And there's so many ways of doing it. So that's kind of what I'm looking into next. Maybe some business training in there. We'll see. But but that's that's what I'm curious about. But in terms of like the interviews they do and women, I haven't asked this question before, but some recent interviews I've done, I want to start. What I want to ask them is who else helped make the entity that they run what it is? So I speak to a lot of founders and we talk about the company they've built and sometimes they'll do it with their life partner, sometimes with another partner. But I would love for them to give more shout outs to their team and, you know, who was indispensable to, you know, that growth and evolution of Slade Architecture or Big and or Seldorf Architects. And yeah, that's something I'm curious to see people talk about more. So how has building out Madden Marketite online affected or impacted your career so far at a director strategy? Does those things talk to each other? Yeah, they're very separate. The mission and kind of purpose of Madam Architect is one thing and what I'm doing with Trahan is very different. Although there are things I've learned from right from building Madam Architect that influences what we're trying to do with Trahan just in terms of building our exposure. So Madam Architect, I mean, we really started from scratch, our social accounts, all of that. The reason it's been successful in building this following is because we shared every single piece of content all across our social channels. Social media was really huge for us. It's my job and it has been my job in kind of the firms I've worked for to pitch to press and to write press releases and business development to be very proactive about seeking that kind of development. And with Madam Architects, I, first of all, I don't have time to do any of that, but we do make time obviously to make the content and then share it on social. And then we share it, our interviewees share it their alma mater share it, their companies share it. And, you know, this kind of network just grows and grows and grows. And so one thing I've thought a lot about with Trahan is what is content that we can produce? You know, we're an architecture company, but we don't only have to produce buildings. What is the content? What writing can we do? And what can we be sharing with the people that follow us, the people that know about us that will help, you know, position our point of view in a certain way or just not have us wait for people to be writing about us and when we can write about ourselves and share it. Um, on the business development side and on the strategy side, what skills that you've been developing, like as an interviewer and as someone expanding the network and creating resources for people, I imagine there's a really strong actual, maybe the two entities don't overlap, but I imagine the skill set really does. That's exactly it. That's exactly it, Chris. You've, you've summarized it. That is my answer. And that is a lot of people ask me, like, how can you make both work? It's a lot to take on. And it is, but I'm the same person with both. I don't feel like I have to jump from thing to thing or really switch my brain. The way that I do both jobs is so similar. And it's all about connecting with people. With Madam Architects, it's who do we want to get to know and showcase to the world? 
who aligns with kind of what we're about at Madam Architect. And it's the exact same thing with Trahan. Who do we want to work with? Who do we want to collaborate with, partner with? Which organizations are, you know, talking about the issues that we care about that we want to make sure we get involved with, participate in? So that's very, very similar, right? So the skills are just a lot of outreach. My job is to talk to people, whether it's by correspondence, which never ends, or at meetings, internal meetings, external meetings, but it's this, it's what I'm doing right now, which is also why it's kind of like nice and focused, but in a way easy to do because I interview and then I interview people from Trahan's perspective also in terms of like, is this a compatible partnership that makes it easy, the, the skill set. That's great. I love that. It's a time to switch more into the director of strategy conversation that I, I think that's really interesting because I haven't seen a lot of architecture firms that has a strategy portion to it so can you talk a little bit about that like if you are a firm that has never had a director strategy or just a strategy department in general and want to start it where would you go sure it's a great question so it's (laughs) it's traffic time in the city they don't want me to talk about what (laughs) director strategy means no i'm kidding i think it means different things based on what the company means i know some directors of strategy at different firms where it's really design strategy their job is to come up with a big picture design and then have for a project for a building. That is not my role at Trahan. It's really about the entity of Trahan and the business of Trahan, the business of architecture and exposure building. And essentially how it came about is the title came after Trey and I had multiple conversations about what he needed, what he wanted to do and how we could help him get there, help the company get there, help the staff get to where they were Trey envisioned them being up and Essentially, he had built this amazing regional practice in Louisiana and New Orleans, and they were doing work there. They were doing work in the South and Southeast, and he was ready to really take the firm to the next level and become more known nationally, eventually internationally. And what does that take? So that's when I was hired, and I said, well, that's really the strategy role, because it doesn't just take one prong of there's design, business development, communications, the financing, all of that, and all of that talking to each other and working together and really understanding how one aspect of the firm and how one team influences the other, et cetera. That's what strategy means for us. It's evolving the firm to this next level, whatever that level means for whatever firm needs it. But that is what I would say. You know, you can bring on a strategist when you're just a startup, when you're just starting out from day one and you're like, all right, what do I need? What kind of basis do I need covered? And we can tell you about that, or not we, I'm talking about like strategists in general, or you can have built a presence in a city. Maybe you're trying to grow a presence in more cities. Maybe it's about being featured in publications that you really haven't been featured in before. And how does that translate into business development? So it is about taking the firm to another level and building that sort of exposure. And that just happens by getting to know people. So, which is again, where the kind of the skill set and the, the love for getting to know people comes in. You've got this platform to talk about especially women in architecture, but there's so many other people and not only in architecture, like, I'm just curious, are there some people that you've seen in that are not in architecture, maybe as a part of the business development that you're doing at Trahan who are successful in other disciplines? Like, I'm curious if there's any that you've developed a relationship with, like a mentor mentee relationship with that you'd be interested in sharing. Well, Kim is a really huge one, Kim Holden, that I mentioned before, but again, she is very much in the industry and I got to know her right when she was making that transition, more so when she became a doula. But anyone outside of the industry that's a big mentor, let me think about this for a second, there definitely are some. Yeah, or it could be, I was also sort of curious about like how you keep your ear to the ground in terms of just what's happening in culture, like what reference points... Because it's one hand is a matter of like looking inside what is architecture doing, but part of this development is 
finding ways that architecture can plug into the rest of the world through relationship building. So mm-hmm. where you've seen that crossover, I'm just more broadly curious about what other places you yeah. look at or look for inspiration beyond architecture. Yeah, I talk to people. I just talk to people. I talk to people that are there in the trenches, like just living it and working in it. So that's really big. That also just takes up most of my time. So <laughs> I also sign up for a lot of newsletters. I like to get to hear and see what kind of content people are putting out directly, brands, organizations, firms, all of it. So a lot of newsletters, that's kind of my morning routine is I'll come in, you know, I'll check the news, I'll go through my emails, and then I just go through all the newsletters. I, I don't deep dive read into all of them, but I definitely like to know. Also, one thing I'm really paying attention to is Gen Z. My brother is 18 years old and just graduated high school. My, my younger brother, same parents, everything, just big age gap. <laughs> but he, he's going to be a college student next year. And A, I'm just super curious about how Gen Z entering the workforce will affect kind of how we practice and how we write and what kind of entities are going to be coming out. But I've been asking my brother more and more, like, what do you and your friends talk about? And how, what do you guys feel about this in the dialogue now? And he's taught me some great vocabulary words, like softing. He's like, I'm going to soft those guys, which means like show them up or something. And apparently having tea, like, oh, I have some tea. is like, I have gossip anyway. So, I'm, but yeah, but that's the thing. And that's the other thing is I'm really, really proud of our next generation column on Madam Architect, where we do talk to students and recent grads. I would say for anyone listening now, if you're curious about where the industry is going, read those interviews because that's the generation that's coming up in the industry that will be having a lot of influence and they're digitally and socially native with social media. They've, they've had it for so long that um, I really think we'll be needing to pay attention to what they care about and what their priorities are. And a lot of it is climate change and social issues and representation. And yeah, that's been a big source of inspiration for me. Speaking of Gen Z, we have a question here for Virginius about how can different generations of women in architecture connect and support each other better when their definition of what a female architect should be can be different? That's a really great question. I was just talking to somebody about this earlier today. I did a Madam Architect interview over lunch with an amazing woman in business development. It'll be a great interview, but she was talking about how your mentors don't have to be those that are 25 years older. You know, you can have a mentor that's just a couple years older, so you can see more immediately like where those next steps might be. And then, you know, five years, 10 years, and I have all of them, you know, I, and even in college, my friend, my great friend, Jenny Pazin, she, I think I tired her out in college. I think I tired out everybody in college because I was that obnoxious kid, like waiting outside my professor's door after class being like, yeah, you some questions. And I'm still that kid. <laughs> but this woman, Jenny, she was a senior, a fifth year when I was a freshman. And so she was somebody I really looked up to. I was her thesis helper. We were on a ballroom dance team together. I like took private lessons from her for ballroom dance. and But anyway, but she was also a student just a little bit ahead. And then I had my professors and I had professors at different ages that I looked up to. So that's one thing is just that kind of cross-generational connection. Just seek out mentors that are all of these different things. And I would say just kind of create your own opportunities for connection. Invite, if you have like four people that you really admire and they're all different ages, whatever, invite them all to dinner or suggest a dinner. And that can seem a little bit intimidating, but I think once you get past a few times, then it'll come much more naturally. I'm curious about, say it's a firm, think maybe a couple generation or upgrades, how many upgrades it takes to get to the level of a director of strategy in terms of your how you think about like how a new business comes in, like first level is like, just comes your naturally through your network, but then maybe you start to formalize marketing or business development, but then there's this next layer, which is strategy. I'm just curious if you could walk us through a little bit of like what those differences are operationally 
and what's mm-hmm. changing and maybe how you might think about a problem in business differently strategy level versus just like, oh, I need to post on social media or I need to make sure that I'm talking mm-hmm. with people to expand my network. Yeah, I think that strategy, so you took us through the layers, I would flip that around. That pyramid that you were building, I would say strategy is like the base layer and everything comes from that. And that thinking, I need to post on social, that is strategy. That is the development strategy. It's all about building exposure and making sure more people know about you and widening your network so that there's more, you're creating more opportunity. The more people you know, the more opportunity. And so in terms of operationally, we've been working on a strategic plan at Trahan that we have a development team now. We don't call it a marketing team. We don't call it a business development team. It's just a development team, and which can sound funny in, in architectural working with developers of clients, but development of the brand of the company of Trahan. And so working on a strategic plan that encapsulates all of those categories, you know, the different markets, typologically different markets, geographically, and how that feeds into new business and sort of our marketing operations and RFP submission. And we have a really wonderful director of marketing that really handles that whole process, Jenny Schechter. And then handles communications and communications. There's so much that goes into it. It's social media, it's press, it's your newsletters, Instagram live. It's anytime you're connecting with your clients, your audience, your followers. So all of that feeds into it. And just like you're not going to be a different person based on every different person you have in your life that you interact with, like it's just easier to just be yourself. It's the same for a firm. The way we want to talk to our clients and what we care about is what we also talk about in the media. It is what we talk about with students and just really narrowing down what that means for us and what it is that we want to communicate that transcends all of these seemingly different like silos. They're not really silos. It's all just an ecosystem that is constantly like expanding and shifting and people move and a journalist one day is a PR person the next day is maybe your client the third day. And so you just really have to understand, I think, how all the parts and pieces work together and also understand it's a very fluid model. It's not five different silos, just like a team would work in our development team. We talk about this a lot as it takes all of us and that whole ecosystem to develop the firm. It never takes one person. And how do you as a director strategy, like, I want to give the audience an idea of what the role is and what does the day-to-day schedule look like for you? A lot of meetings, a lot of meetings and a lot of reading. <laughs> I actually really struggle with open plans because when I was a designer, open plan was great. You're kind of in CAD or Rhino or Photoshop and you welcome kind of background noise. Maybe where white noise are picking up on fun conversations, but it's the complete opposite for me now. It's reading and writing and I feel like I need total silence or I need to go talk. But yeah, so in terms of the day, staying in touch with what's being talked about in the world and what's happening is huge and financial news too, just like even like the stocks and understanding where people are like what they're how they're voting with their dollars you know what I mean and what people are investing in and what kind of funding is happening all across public sector and things like this is really important so there's a lot of that at the beginning of the day I have internal meetings all the time with different members of the development team with leadership with Trey with our principal Leslie Braxton so that is a daily occurrence just checking in on tracking things and following up on things and making sure we're on track on things and then also a lot of new ideas. There's a lot of new ideas, like kind of ideation that happens. I remember I had a goal for myself where I would send Trey a new idea for an initiative or just like a new idea for the company once a week. And once a week, I wanted to be proposing something that we should be participating in. Or so there's some research that goes on with that. What awards are there? New awards. I know Metropolis Magazine just released some new awards. The New York Committee did too, a marketing award. But so there's just a lot of like absorbing and then trying to process what that means for Trehan, what that means for an architecture company, what that means for business. And then intro meetings. Again, a lot of research about, okay, let's say we'd really love 
to have a project of a certain typology in Florida, in Miami, because the market is booming there right now. Who do we want to work with and how do we be proactive about that? And who are our partners that we need to be working towards that with? And so that takes some real thought and trust, just kind of grabbing at things randomly. So a lot of that and then the outreach and the meetings and a lot of meetings. That's great. We're getting so many questions here. Let's see. Here's a good one. Great discussion. What are some strategies you've used at Trahan to break into more national work or exposure? Yeah, national exposure. I mean, you have to find the organizations that are working nationally, like the AIA, like ULI, which publications are national publications as opposed to regional publications. Obviously, every city kind of has their own newspaper and then there's the national ones. So you just see who has that national reach. But in terms of national work, I think, again, you have to look, you just have to look at where your network is already, where you're established, where it will be easy to maybe jump over a state, the state next door, or it might be a little bit harder. And then who do you know in those other states? So it's just about, right, asking yourself who else is working nationally and then how do we build those relationships? And Mark Jen, he has a question. on, are you seeing any trends in terms of design practices, purpose, focus, for instance? Are you seeing emerging firms focusing on collaborative partners, not necessarily within the firm, but allowing them to create platforms so that a small firm can act? Yeah, for sure. I think there's just, in general, I think social media has been an amazing equalizer and information spreader, for better and worse. Obviously, it's not always good, but if you want it to be for a good thing or for a good opportunity, it can be. And so, I am seeing a lot of firms, yeah, just understand the alignment of values and understand who else is having those values and kind of, you know, there's just so much in the world now. There's so many ideas. And again, this is from social media. There's just a lot being shared and a lot happening and always a lot in people's minds and it just doesn't stop. And I think people are realizing that like, we can't do it all alone. We just can't keep all the everything going ourselves. And no one works like that really. Even if you think of a building, if it's one architecture firm, how many consultants are you then working with? One amazing example of this actually has been in the partnership of Ray with the National Black Theater. Ray is, you know, Josh Zhukova's new new real estate venture. And we did the interview with the team, with the whole team for Madam Architects. And they had four collaborating architects on there. They had Frida Escobedo as the leading design architect. They had Handel as the architect of record. They had Marvel as the theater architect specifically. And who else did they have? They had Little Wing Lee as the interior designer. I think there was one more design partner involved. And so you're starting to see much more of that of this is really the piece that we're experts in and we're going to hone in on and we're not going to try it all to do it all. We're just going to try to do what we're very best at and collaborate with partners that we really align with to kind of help us all get to a place in the world that's really wonderful together. Julia, before we actually started this webinar, we were talking a little bit about growth that you saw happen at Trahan, like a fast growth period. I'm curious what it looked like when that was going on. Did you see it like start to finish and even beforehand? I just would like to know more details about that. Yeah, so we grew, I believe, from about 10 to 30. We tripled in a matter of a few short years, which for an architecture firm and for any business is really significant. I probably joined like not maybe almost halfway through that. I think the growth was happening. And that's when Trey and other leadership thought to themselves like, wow, this is why we can take the firm to the next level. It's because we're growing and we have these projects and so then I came on board. Actually, all of the members of our development team came on board after, very shortly after, and then we've kind of been building since. But what that growth looks like is how do you go right from 10 to 30 and in between two cities and really three cities? We had a partner when I first joined that was based in Chicago. 
He's now a university uh, campus architect. And we have Principal Leslie Braxton, who's the, from Atlanta. So we're building this Atlanta presence. And right, how do you focus on firm culture and right strategic growth in your business when you have entities in these three places and you need to keep them all, again, very aligned and communicating with each other? So one thing we've been talking a lot, actually, from a strategic perspective, is just when, when there's this kind of growth and has consequences and operations that have consequences on communications and have consequences on a ton of stuff. And on new business, when new business comes in, who do we have to staff it? Who do we need to staff it? Can we handle this much new business now that our development team is really, really focused on that and there's just a lot more stuff coming in? And how does that all affect how we are together as a company internally? So we're drafting some documents in that regard as well. But I would say, I have a Kravitz said this to me recently. It's really amazing, which is that culture eats strategy for lunch. Like no matter what kind of plans you have for your firm, no matter what kind of plans you have to grow or to get certain work, you will not get there unless you have a team that's really aligned and working well together and seamlessly and understanding everyone's strengths. And that all comes from culture. So I'm really happy to have Leslie, Leslie Braxton with us because she understands that so intuitively. She moved around a lot when she was growing up. And like me, I think we just get meeting new people and what makes everyone so special. And she's really brought us all together as a team in that way. And that's been really great. So yeah, focus on culture is really huge when there's growth, which I'm sure is not surprising, but I hope I've outlined kind of why that is. And I think we're seeing more and more architecture firms focusing on culture more and more nowadays as uh, as the younger generation keep coming up. Um, yeah. So sure. if if someone from an architecture background they want to get into the career doing strategy in an architecture firm like you did, what advice would you have for them? What kind of career path would they need to go through? Yeah, I would advise them to try and get as many different experiences in positions and firms as possible and. That can be tough to do because like, for example, I'll just, I can tell you what I did, which is I started as a designer and then I was at a firm and they hired this really fascinating director of communications. And I just like loved this woman. She is a German art historian. She's now living in Switzerland um, and is an arts consultant, but she was our director of communications. And I was just on a lull between projects very serendipitously. And I had been thinking that I wanted to write more and really understand what the other aspects of the business were. I was always curious about that and just had these two slow weeks with pencils down. And I talked to my project manager at the time. I said, oh, can I help Aurelia out? I know that she's only one person doing all of the communications work, which is a lot, which is really a lot. And it gets more and more every day with new social media you know, platforms popping up. And they said, okay. So I helped her and it was so much fun. She had me researching a podcast that the partners were about to participate in and what should we talk about and who talked about what. And that was super interesting just to see architecture firms and how they talked about themselves differently. But anyway, so from that experience, I then wanted to do communication full-time at the firm. But unfortunately, it is an overhead position, and it is hard for firms, especially smaller firms, to support that kind of full-time commitment. And so that's when I went to try another firm. And at that next firm, Cooper Robertson, I was doing this trifecta. I was doing the communications, marketing, and business development. And having gone through that experience, I realized the business development aspect that I would really love to focus on and just get to know the ecosystem of the people in the industry. Anyway, so I tell all of this because it took me a few steps and they were very organic steps in trying out different things at different firms. But I would say for a strategy perspective, that is pretty key. I think you need to understand, again, the ecosystem of the firm and how all the departments influence each other and how they need each other and how they come in to the life cycle of the project differently. And so I would, well, I would read Madam Architect too. We've profiled a lot of people, I think, at, that have different roles within, not only within, in the field, but within firms too. Certainly business development people, communications people, 
we need to interview someone in HR and finance and I, I have plans to do that. But yeah, just be curious about all that it takes to run a business and you'll go from there. Uh, speaking of Madam Architect, I'm curious, what is a question where you got a totally unexpected response? Yeah, I would say it's the one on advice. I thought people would kind of say, you know, be very focused, know what you want to do and plan out how you're going to do it. But actually, everyone has talked about being open and just like being really open to exciting opportunities that come your way that you might have not expected. And that frustrated me so much at the beginning because I just wanted to know the secret. I was like a type A like planner coming out of college, trying to plan out the next 50 years of my career, which kind of funny so now I know but yeah no one has really said I think there was one person that said I made a strategic step to do this to then do that but out of like over 200 interviews there was only one person that talked about any sort of strategy or planning everyone else was like I made decisions based on what felt good at the time and if things needed to change they changed then we just follow your interest and follow your curiosity and follow your excitement it was really surprising but also like in a way, really reassuring because none of us know where what's going to happen or come our way. And I think that's a healthy perspective to have. And also to know that no matter what comes your way, you do have the skills and the capability to you know, manage through it and get to know yourself better in the process. You know, questions here, I think we start going through them. There's a question about what tips can you share on crafting a brand for yourself? How can an individual use your strength? in communication and business development to create a position for themselves in this industry. So I struggle with that one because I never approached it that way. I've been asked to do some talks on like personal brands and for ULI and things like this that are coming up. And it's so funny because I think just in terms of social media, like I would just post about what I cared about and was interested in. And that was it. I think in terms of your personal brand, if you start to think of, oh, I need to create this, you're forcing it. And you might be thinking you need to do some things that might not be fully like authentic to you, or maybe others are doing it, but, and you feel like you should, but again, it's not something you would do naturally. So I would just ask yourself, like, what am I already doing and already interested in and already talking about a lot that really excites me? And just ask, you won't have the answer right away. If you go home tonight, and like, try to write it out. You'll have some thoughts, but maybe they won't all add up. So that's the other thing. I journaled a lot. That was my way to write early in my career when I couldn't really write for anything else. I would just come home and journal, which was sometimes stressful because I would just like journal about all the things I wanted to do. And then I was like, okay, why aren't they happening? (laughs) But it was a really good way to like over and over very iteratively as we're talking architects to like iterate what it is that you want to manifest for yourself eventually. And again, you don't have full control over it, but you have some control. But yeah, that's what I would say is don't think of it as branding yourself. Try to instead think of it as what do I care about? What is interesting to me? Which people do I really align with and that I really like? And I'm interested to hear what they have to say. And just ask yourself those three questions over and over for a certain period of time. And things will kind of rise to the top that are the authentic things that you should be kind of presenting out there. That's really interesting. We talked a little bit about like guiding figures for you, but how about in the other direction? people that you've met where you've been sort of a mentor for them. Can you talk about what, how you think about that and what kinds of messages you've tried to convey to them? Like if, if you're starting over again, what might you do differently to maybe get where you are a little bit faster, just to guide people who are starting out today and sort of wondering 
how they should approach things. Hmm, Okay, so you asked about who I mentored and what I would advise them if I kind of had to do it again or what I wish I did. So in terms of who I mentor, I talked to a lot of students, maybe not one. Some some I've spoken to one-on-one, but Michelle Wentz, who I noticed is is a guest here. I've spoken to her class that they're down in Kansas quite a bit. And I really love that. But I've spoken to Pratt a lot. And that's kind of, it's a group of people, but certainly mentorship. I actually, my first experiences with mentorship was studying, study abroad program, was study abroad program that I did in high school. I went and lived in the South of France for a summer. And then I had two girls come live with me, one one summer, one the other summer. And when I was there, you know, they were kind of guiding me and assimilating me to the culture. And then when each of them were in the United States, respectively, like that seemed like a real mentorship role, even though we weren't, we were peers, but because I had the foundation, obviously in the language, in the country, I was kind of guiding them along and teaching them the language and the, the cultural customs and stuff. That was kind of my first experience. And then I think when you're in college, it's helping out younger staff. I'll sometimes talk to high school students who are looking for what they want to do. I definitely feel like I mentor my brother. I hope I, I hope I do it justice. But yeah, I think nowadays I just, take some phone calls. My team at Madam Architect is really amazing that they tell me that I'm their mentor, which is funny because some of them are older than I am. But I think it's all about, you can also mentor with an expertise area. You know, you can be younger than somebody, but really have a lot of experience in one thing that maybe they don't do. And that's happening, I think, more and more in architectural practice too. It's the younger generation has all these experiences digitally and on social media and technology that they can teach or kind of guide leadership on. And in terms of what I would tell myself or somebody to get somewhere faster, I don't know if shortcuts are really the most productive thing. Because I think when you try to shortcut things, you lose, I don't know, you can lose maybe some, a lot of wisdom is just built through experience through having lived through something. And again, it's all very iterative and cumulative. So if anything, I would just say, I wish I was less self-conscious. I think insecurity is a really big waste of time because you are who you are and you'll definitely, again, like you'll cultivate yourself as you go forward, but you won't change. I don't think kind of maybe frustrating advice to hear because it's like, well, how do I be more confident? Like you can't just do it at the snap of your fingers, but yeah, I would just repeat to yourself if you're ever doubting something or doubting an idea. It's just uh, insecurity is a waste of time. Like all the time you just spend for two days kind of worrying about this or keeping something in and then it coming out eventually, like just come out with it and move on. Maybe that's what I would say to say sometimes to people is don't dwell on things as much. Try to deal with things as they come up and move on and learn. I always tell people if they're, even if they're young, they can always mentor even the younger people or even the older people. I think everyone has a skill at any age and they, they can always use that to mentor. Speaking of mentors, Amy has, here has a question. She's a recent graduate architect director. The question is, how did you find mentors in the beginning of your career? I think that's a question a lot mm-hmm. of recent graduates have. Yeah, because I had moved around when I was growing up, I had to be really proactive about building relationships because I was always the new kid, like trying to break into like established groups. And so I just developed that muscle of like, hey, I like you, let's get coffee or like, let's hang out. And not everyone is <laughs> open to that. I was definitely the new kid and have certain qualities have followed me because of that. But I think because I had had to do like I had to do that, it was very much a necessity very early in life. It just like kept going on. And so it's actually really lucky that I had those experiences because now I'm, I do this without reservation, but I think just seeing people that you think you're going to click with and just asking them, people are very flattered when you want to hear about their 
expertise and people like to talk about themselves. And anytime you make someone feel like they're an expert or they're really good at something or that you would like to develop the quality that they have, that's this magical quality, they would love to you know, talk to you. So I would say in terms of something mentors is, you know, if they're a professor that you're really fascinated by that gives off great energy for you, just ask them to talk to them. Or if you, you know, I would also try to, now that in-person events are coming back, in-person is always much better because when you send a cold email, the, re- the person on the receiver end, they're receiving an email. They're not, even though it's coming from a human, they're still, it's just an e- like they're seeing an email. But if you approach someone at a breakfast or at a mentorship session at the AIA or something like that, then that's a different thing. So I would start with the people that you are able to be in person with first. And again, I know we're all in, still coming out of a pandemic and that might not be right away, but start with that. And then, yeah, just come up to people and tell them what you really love about what they do and what you really admire about them and ask them if you can chat. We get this another question from the audience. What is your favorite topic to write or talk about? Of course, there's the theme of uh, Madam Architect, but maybe an additional question to ask is what your favorite question is to ask in your interview. Favorite topic is just people. <laughs> and that's why I think my preferred like writing products are Q&As instead of like narratives on certain topics. I really love getting to know people. And I think that also has to do with me immigrating and having to make friends and getting to know people from all kinds of backgrounds. So that's the topic. And, you know, that relates or that translates very directly to what I do with Madam Architect. In terms of my favorite question to ask nowadays, it's who people are admiring. I ask everyone, who are you admiring right now? And it doesn't have to be in architecture, but who is out there doing amazing work that you think everyone should know about? And I found out about so many interesting people and organizations and initiatives that way. A lot of people give shout outs to people outside the architecture realm, which is always super interesting. And it's a way for me to figure out who to interview next. And Chris, your question earlier about kind of like how to keep my ear to the ground and what other newsletters to sign up for. So I always really look forward to, to hearing about that one. We have a new question just come in. And I feel like I also get asked this question a lot. So you're doing so many things with Madam Architects and you doing your strategy job. Is there any advice or experience on managing better work and life balance? Oh my gosh, yeah. So I actually feel like I'm really proud of the balance I have. This week did not feel like balance. We, we, you know, anytime there's a new launch or anything new happening, anytime there's something new on Madam Architect, you have to picture it as we already have all this content going and it's already like pretty dense. And when there's something new that really eats into the, the balance I've created. So I'm not feeling it this week, but I think I've done two things that have really worked for me. And one is there's an activity that I have built into my week, my day, which is running. And I used to run recreate. I mean, I ran in high school and things like this, but when I was first in New York City, I ran very recreationally. And if I didn't get to run for a day, it would be fine. I mean, I would probably feel guilty about it and want to make it up as soon as possible, but I wouldn't prioritize it as much because I knew I could do another day. But then I signed up for, I kind of caught the bug, joining some running groups of signing up for races. And some of those races have pretty rigorous training programs because they tend to be long. And that has been amazing, actually, for productivity and for having these two entities that I'm running, because what it does is it like really refreshes your your brain and your body. And what I would used to do, is I would go to work and then I would go for my run and then I would feel both tired and mentally refreshed, actually. And then I could kind of pick back up in the evening and finish some things in that work to check or answer emails or whatever. And the reason running has been amazing is because, and I don't, I'm not telling you guys that or anyone that they should run, but it is an activity that it doesn't involve a screen, which is super healthy because if you can imagine with sort of two jobs, you're in front of a screen a lot and that's not a good thing. Um, but so that gets me away from the screen and especially some of those longer runs that really make sure I do that. 
And then I hardly ever work on the weekends. I just made a rule for myself that I just need, I really prioritize my family, my significant other, my brother, my parents, my friends. Again, I love people in every way. And that definitely extends to my people outside of the industry. And weekends are for me to recharge and to see them. So I would say those two things. It's just, you know, weekends are for that. Again, I had to work this past weekend because we were doing a launch, which is fine. But typically I try to get a running break in during the day and to make sure I really spend some time with people I love on the weekends. I haven't figured out the sleep part yet. I have a really hard time winding down. So if anyone has any advice for me on how to turn your brain off at the end of the day, I think I need that because the sleep's not there. Well, um, George is not here today, but I just feel like he really disappointed if I didn't, if we didn't end with his favorite question that he always asks every guest, which is, what is the nicest thing anyone has ever done for you? Oh my gosh, I'm going to cry. People have done so many nice things. I mean, again, I was the new kid so often that if it weren't for others being open to like this new droid in their galaxy, <laughs> I, would, I don't think I would have gotten beyond where I started, but Gosh, nice things anyone's done for me. Hearing from people about interviews is really amazing. I always, every interview we publish, I feel like someone writes some sort of really nice email or makes a comment or something about why this interview is important, why it resonated with them, what it means for them. And that is always so good for me to hear because it's really helpful for me to hear what works for our readers and what our readers are craving and what they're hearing that they're, that's really helping them. So that's not really something, it is a nice thing someone has done for me because it takes time to like sit down and send this. A lot of people don't. But I have to give a shout out to our new principal, Leslie Braxton. She is like the queen of giving credit and applauding people for their strengths. And I think it's just made such a big difference. And I've never worked with anyone like that ever. So she's the key. You had a question we talked about earlier about who you know, some of my mentors have been. And I would say at the moment, she's one of my most prominent mentors because I get to kind of experience her way of getting to know people and working with people on a daily basis. And that's been really amazing. So yeah, I'm learning from her to really make sure and really prioritize, not just giving credit where credit is due, but just applauding everyone's strengths and hard work and and getting into that practice myself. Thank you. That resonates a lot with me too. Uh, I've been thinking about that a lot this week too. And it's amazing that you have the chance to work with someone uh, who uh, is one of the most people you most admire. So amazing to hear your perspective, Julia. Really appreciate you joining us. So nice. And and Joanne, thank you for co-hosting with me. We're so sad that George couldn't join us today, but he's off doing something interesting. So with that, thank you so much to everyone who joined us at Monograph. We're building the future of architecture practice operations. You can start a free trial today at monograph.com. And we have many, many exciting programs coming up. So please don't forget to stay tuned. We even have an amazing guest who's in the chat today who will be joining us next week. So don't miss out. It's going to be awesome. So thanks again, Julia. Thanks again, Joanne. We really appreciate. Uh, and, and thank you to everyone who tuned in for the full hour. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you so much, guys. Thanks and thank you, you to all who joined us. This was a lot of fun. You guys asked great questions. Appreciate it. <laughs> well, bye you. now. Uh, I hope that you have a, did you run in the morning? Do you run in the morning or you run right after work? Today is my day off, but I did strength training very early this morning. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot. Can't wait to uh, catch up next time, Julia. Really appreciate it. Bye now. Me too. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Chris from Monograph. Thank you so much for joining us here. At Monograph, we're building the number one practice operations platform for small to mid-sized architecture firms. 
More than 200 practices are using Monograph today to run the business side of architecture. You can start a free trial today or watch a live demo with our CEO, Robert Ewan. Get started at monograph.com. That's monograph.com. Talk to you soon.